in the name of Jesus. Amen? <coughs> amen, amen. Well, before I introduce uh, our guest speaker, which most of you should know, uh, I wanted to introduce another friend of mine who came with him, Chris and Terry Musgrove. Y'all stand up. Let everybody Woo! see who you are. Chris and Terry Musgrove. Okay, so I've known these guys for a long time. He went to Rama back in the Stone Ages before I went. And uh, so we got to know each other when, when we moved back into, into, when we moved back to Valdosta, when I moved back to Valdosta. And uh, they were living in Lavo, right? And then they moved to Valdosta, picked up and moved back to Valdosta somewhere around 2005, right? 2005. And so we begin to, we begin to hook up. The, he has a, they have a ministry called Future Now. Anybody heard of Future Now? It's a school assembly program that goes into the public schools and they basically preach the gospel without the kids really knowing about it. And then later on, they invite them back for a night assembly where most of the time hundreds of kids get saved. It's really a dynamic, dynamic outreach. They've come to Tifton already once before. And so we're going to have, we'll get our schedules lined up and get him to come one day and, and preach. But I just wanted to introduce you guys and recognize them. Thank you guys for coming. Now for the man who didn't go to Ramah. We don't hold that against you, though. Uh, come on, you guys, you, you and Sarah stand up. This is Mike and Sarah Wells. Come on. They, um, man, me and, me and uh, Mike and Sarah, but me and Mike have been friends forever, and then when they got married, we were in their wedding, and so we've known each other for a long time, and uh, he's been walking with Pastor L.A. for years, and then the transition began to take place, and so he took over CAM, which is our uh, apostolic covering, uh, two years ago, officially, but you really began the transition three years ago. About five years ago. About, yeah, okay. He threw me under the bus. A he long threw time. you under the bus a long time ago, and so I asked him months ago. I said, "Man, we need to have you come back. It's been a little while since you came. So, why don't you guys stand? Let's just pray over him and exercise Amen. our faith together Amen. as our apostolic covering, Father, in the name of Jesus, Jesus. We do, Father. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for Sarah, his wife, who carries such a load with him. Yes. Lord, we declare a blessing over them." Lord, we exercise our faith today together. We agree that you will speak the word that you've put in his heart. And so we release him. I release him to be who he is with no hindrances, no, no anything blocking him. He just is free to be Mike Wells. And that apostolic gift come out of him. We release our faith in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Love you, brother. Love you, man. Well, thank you guys for letting us come worship with you all today. And um, the uh, as you get to know me, you might hear some things come out of my mouth that would cause you to say, well, that boy ain't from around here now, is he? Um, I'm a Montana boy stuck in South Georgia. And um, God has seen fit to bring me down here. But we know that uh, obedience is obedience, and it's not necessarily our preference. And so we obey, and we leave the rest of it to God. And um, I love what the Lord is doing, and I'm excited to jump in the Word with you today. But one of the things that I like to do is, um, how many of you guys like to laugh? Okay. 
I don't know a person that does not like to laugh. I've never met one yet. And sometimes we take ourselves way too serious. But then if you can't laugh at yourself, you're really missing a God-given gift. Okay? Now sometimes I look in the mirror and I just have to start laughing. Okay? But then I look at other people and I start laughing. Okay? But then when I start looking at churches and their church signs, that's when I start laughing. Because sometimes we're so spiritually minded, we're absolutely no earthly good. And I just want to make fun of a few church signs with you all this morning, if that's okay. And um, I, I, really like, I really like doing this. And so this first one, I can't believe somebody would actually put it on a sign. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. I don't think that's what they intended to say, but I think they made that statement anyway. And then I saw this one. Last week, Mother Brown's wig was stolen when she was shouting, please return it. Now, if we had worship and praise like that, when, when our hair just fell out, that would be a good day right there. Okay, But who would steal the wig? I just, and they got to put on a church sign. I mean, tell everybody in the church, but don't put on your sign. Okay. Jesus would so smack you in the head right now. Really on a church sign? Now, I promise you every single one of us in this room have felt that, but it usually doesn't come out of our mouth or on our church sign. I, you just got to shake your head sometimes, okay? Let me see here. Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. Isn't that ironic? We just got to laugh sometimes, I'm telling you. All right, and then we're going to end with this one. Lent, it's not just for belly buttons. For those of you who come from a more traditional church that celebrates Lent, you'll, you'll, you'll pick that up here in a minute. All right. So now that we got a little bit of our endorphins released, and let's get into the Word and see what revelation God gives us. Amen? All right. If you would, turn your Bibles, turn in your Scripture to Luke chapter 15. This is a very familiar story, and we're going to put a new twist on it. And um, I believe this is going to reveal more about the Christmas story than what we realize because a lot of us focus on Christ, hence Christmas. But I, I think it's more about the Father than it is about the Son. And so today I want to I tell you a story of two spiteful sons and one amazing Father. And we're going to look at... In, and catch a glimpse of the heart of God by taking an in-depth look. Now, many of you have probably heard of this parable. You've probably learned it when you were in kindergarten and Sunday school, those of you who went to Sunday school, and you've probably read it at least a hundred times in your life. That's where the majority of us are. But I want to look at it in a new way today. And so in Luke chapter 15... Verse 1 and 2, we're going to look at the occasion here. Jesus had been ministering, he'd been teaching, 
And he and his disciples were walking through town. And it says, And all the tax collectors, excuse me, and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. As I don't want to just pass over scripture, but when you walk through Walmart or you walk through a grocery store, do sinners flock to you? What was it about Jesus? Was it just his renown? Was it just what people heard of him? What was it that made those people want to flock to him and draw near to him? And then the religious people were watching them. The scribes who were the writers of the law, they copied on the scrolls. They were very attentive to every little detail. And they were also jurists. They were the ones that helped make the decisions and things. And they were by the letter of the law, literally, as they wrote it and as they lived it. And then you have the Pharisees who were supposed to be the teachers of the law. Both of those groups were watching Jesus. And they're like, we don't like this guy. And here's why. Let's read verse 2. They complained, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. He eats with them. Now, for most of us, we're like, what does that have to do with anything? But in Jewish law... People who were called sinners were unclean, and you weren't allowed to eat with them. But Jesus is sitting here not only allowing them to come around him, but he sat down and he ate with them. So he was breaking all sorts of tradition and all sorts of religious stipulations that the Pharisees and the scribes had made. And so what was really going on, I want you to, to take a look at this. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus ministered to the unwanted, and the religious people began to notice. He receives sinners and eats with them. But this last point, we've got to set the context here. Jesus was known as a rabbi. And if a rabbi is teaching the law, and then he's breaking the law, then most people look at him as like, you're not a legitimate rabbi. You're, you're a hypocrite. Do we hear that in our society? That's one of the most common excuses for not going to church. It's full of hypocrites. Because what you're saying and what you're teaching doesn't line up with what you're doing. But in Jesus' case, it lined up exactly with what he was doing. And so as a rabbi, they believed his idea of sin was compromised. You don't take sin serious enough because they're sinners and you're eating with them. They should be rejected. They should be cast out. You're, Jesus, you're not holy enough. And they're missing the entire point, as we'll see. But this is the historical context of what was going on. So, in the midst of this, Jesus answers with one parable, but three stories. The first story is the parable of the lost sheep. We all know that. Jesus left the 99 and did what? He went after the one. Okay, That one didn't decide to return on his own. That one stayed lost. 
That's why the shepherd had to leave and go get it. When he found it, he carried it back, and there was great rejoicing because he found that sheep. Okay? Then Jesus tells the second one, the lost coin. The woman tore her house apart to find that coin, and there was great joy when she found it. The coin didn't get up and come back to her. She went after the coin. And then Jesus tells a story of what we know as the prodigal son, the wayward son. And it's a similar story. But a lot of us in our minds, what we've interpreted this, we believe the son had a change of heart and wanted to come back to the father. But as we're going to look in scripture, that really didn't happen. It was a father that went after him. And this is what Christmas is all about. All right? You guys stay with me here. So Luke chapter 15. Let's pick up in verses 11 through 17. Um, I like to have people participate. So would somebody stand up and read this? Or, or if you can sit and read real loud, would somebody do that? I like to have audience participate with me. Really, I want you to read so I can get a drink. Who wants to do that for me? And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his, his living. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with Rodius living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed his swine. And he would faint. And he would faint, have feelings, and fill his stomach with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. All right, right there. Let's, let's pause there. Okay, you guys get the context. Okay, you guys get the story. We've passed over this many, many times. But I want to take it word by word because Scripture doesn't just put words in there for the sake of using words. Every word is breathed by God. It's inspired. It has a purpose and a meaning. And if we pass over it too quickly, we'll miss it. And so I want you to look at pictures. A lot of us learn by sight. Some of us can can um, hear things, we're auditory, but some of us are kinesthetic. we got to do things, okay? I want you to look at this picture. It's a father and two sons. And in that culture, your sons were your prized possessions. You were rich in that culture the more sons you have, okay? A father that only had daughters was actually looked down in society. I think that's ridiculous, having two beautiful daughters myself. But in that society, that's the way it was. 
okay? So one, as we know, the older brother was that rock. He was that steady. He was that type A personality. If you meet my daughters, my older one is by the letter, by the book, and we call her Captain Sirius because she, she misses sometimes the joy in life because she takes everything so literal. I don't know where she gets that from, okay? But then our second daughter, I was joking earlier and told, told uh, Pastor Bill that, that, and uh, Michael Curry that we joke because our younger daughter, I think she makes coffee nervous. She is full of life. And she's the, where my daughter's the lion, my second daughter's the squiggly, okay? She is all over the place, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, okay? I want you to picture this, because some of your siblings are the same way, for those of you who have brothers and sisters, okay? Let's, let's identify in this story more than, yeah, it's a man with two sons. I want you to think of your family. I want you to think of how this would happen. So it says that one day... Sorry, I shouldn't have used yellow on there. This is a story of two sons who both dishonored their father. But let's look at the younger son because that's the way the story goes. The younger son came and said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow me or that belong to me. Was his father living or dead? He was alive. In that culture... If a son were to do that, the father was literally commanded to take the back of his hand and smack him across the face and reject the son. Because for him to ask him for his inheritance while he was living, you basically just walked to your father and said, I wish you were dead. Now, as a father of nine years now, my daughters have said a few things that have hurt me, but never anything to that level. They've gotten mad at me and said, I wish you weren't my daddy, and that came close. But to look at your father, say, I'd rather have what you possess than you. You're dead to me. It was a slight beyond what we really can imagine. It was the ultimate slight in that culture. And so not only did he do that, but then it gets a little deeper. So the father basically says, or the son basically says, I want your inheritance, okay? The inheritance, yeah, some of it was money. Some of it was flocks and animals. But in that culture, your inheritance was land passed down. They could tell you, my great, 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 great person owned this in my family. It was land passed down. And there was a big cultural issue here. So then he says, he divided to them his livelihood. The father did. Now instead of the father punishing the son, rejecting the son, I actually read a story where it's, a guy was telling that his brother actually did this. This was like back in the 50s. That he did this. It took the father five years to be in the same room with that son after doing that. He smacked him across the face, turned his back to him, and they, they barely even got in the same room 
after five years. But this father broke all tradition. He didn't slap his son. He didn't reject him. He didn't put him away. It says he divided his livelihood. Literally, he divided his life. I want you to think about this. Your parent no longer is your parent. All they are is an object to you now and a possession. And so that son, it says that he divided to them. They both received it. The older son received his part too. But the younger son took it one more step further. I want you to look at this. This is a Palestinian landscape in modern Israel. You see the different paths. You see how arid it is. You see some of the trees there. Remember I said land was what was passed down, what was your inheritance. For the son that asked for his father to his death, it was considered, yeah, basically before he was dead, it was considered disowning your family. But here's what part I want to focus on. The son would have to take his portion of the land and sell it in order to get anything out of it. In that culture, if you sold land that belonged to a family member before it was time to sell it and not the right occasion, it was against Jewish law. If your father was still living and you sold his land, the city would reject you. Now, I know this is a lot of background, but this paints a picture that's going to come together in just a little bit, so stay with me. The city would come out against you and reject you. Only a scoundrel would buy land while a father was still living. And it would be for probably half the price of what it was actually worth. But the father let him do it. I want you to catch the weight of this. You don't see the father fighting him, begging him not to do it. He divided up, said, son, here's your land. Here's my life. If this is all I am to you, here it is. He didn't run into town and try to get the townspeople after his son. He let him do it. I think this is probably the single most part to catch. He let him do it. One day, my daughter was like, Daddy, I want to climb up on this thing, and I want to jump. My daddy's mind and heart was like, No, you don't understand gravity yet. You are going to find out gravity hurts sometimes. But sometimes, as parents, you got to let kids do it. Why? What was that? So they can learn from it. How many times does God let us have our way when we're demanding? He also lets us have the consequences of that sometimes, too. Well, God, I just want you to do it this way. God, I just want you to do it this way. And God's like, 
If you say so, I'll let you. I told you not to, and I told you why, but I'm going to let you. We can all find ourselves in this story, can't we? All right. So the son took it, and look at this. Let's pick back up here. It says, verse 13, Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and left for another journey. You remember I told you the city would come out after that son for selling the land. Okay? Here's a, here's a cultural ceremony that I want you to learn. It's called the Katsatsa, and I promise you you're going to remember that. It's a ceremony where they take a clay pot, and they put in it burnt corn, and they walk out to that son who just disowned his family, to that son who just did the ultimate insult in that society, and they pick it up, and they throw it down at his feet. And they say, you are like the shards of this pot. You are cut off forever. And you will never be put back together with your family. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My father went to jail. Our family was shattered and splintered. One of my brothers refused to talk to my father because of the nature of his crime. And I went probably five years without talking to my dad. It's not something we, that you know, we broadcast, but it was a fact. Our family, family life was atrocious. And as I looked at the picture of this broken shards, that was exactly what I felt as a 15-year-old boy when all hell broke loose in my life. It's like, God, how could you ever put this back together? This relationship, the first time I went to jail and I looked at my dad through the mirror, we're separated. We could never be put back together. It's never going to be the same. I felt just like that clay pot. But that's what the town did. To that young man before he left. They came out. And they threw that down. And they made a statement. Not only are you cut off from this family. But if you ever come back. This town will reject you. We will not help you. We will not hire you. We will not give you anything. As there's a lot more. Deeper. Meanings in this story. Than what we just passed through. Okay, and so he says here, he said he gathered. Literally, it's a banking statement. It means he turned it all to cash. What did he do? He sold the land. It's a banking term. And then he traveled to a far country. Wow. I must have hit a big button there. All right. It says then he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. What goes to your mind when you hear the word prodigal? I want some feedback here. Somebody tell me. Wayward, squandering, wasteful. Somebody else. Partying. Okay. Most of us, when we read that, he's spending on harlots. 
Seriously, that's what we put in most of the interpretations of this. He wasted it, he partied, and spent it on women. But that's not what it means. Prodigal, once again, is a banking term. It means he didn't save. It means he squandered it, what one of you said. But he lost everything that belonged to not only him, but also the generations after him. Remember in Proverbs it says that a man who saves up for his children's children is blessed. This man totally broke the cultural significance because he squandered everything that was meant for future generations. Once again, it's a little bit deeper than what we are used to. Another act of shame in the culture was to lose all of that and leave nothing for your family. But the important thing here is it's, it's not that he lost it to his own countrymen. He lost it to Gentiles. Remember, he was a Jew. You don't lose anything to Gentiles. Gentiles are meant for us to take their money. And for us to take their land. But nah, he lost it in a foreign country to Gentiles. How do you know he was a Gentile? Because what did he go work? With pigs. Jews did not own pigs. Because pork was against the law. He was in a Gentile country. And he lost everything. The ultimate act of shame not only what he did to his family, but then what he did representing Jewish culture. He was worthless. The worst of the worst offenders. So then, want to pick up back here, make sure. Look at verse 17 with me. You guys doing all right? He went into the fields to feed swine. And it says he gladly would have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, okay, what's going through your mind when you hear that? When he came to himself, what does that mean? Came to his senses, okay? This only used one other time in Scripture, and it's in Acts chapter 12, where Peter was delivered from prison, and the angel got him out. And it says, as he's walking down the road, Peter came to himself. I mean, he woke up. He came to his sense. He realized, oh my gosh, I'm not dreaming. This is really happening. The same with this guy. His deception had blinded him. And he realized, I'm with pigs. And I'm starving. And nobody's giving me anything. What am I doing in this situation? How many of you have ever had to let a loved one go through a process to where they came to themselves. It's usually more hard on us, it seems like, allowing them and letting them go through that when you can really do nothing because their eyes aren't opened yet. I think I did that to my mother. She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, she prayed, she prayed, but my eyes were closed. Until one day. And that's for a different story. All right, look at this. Then it says, 
He says, I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned. And I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But Lord, or but Father, just make me one of your hired servants. So read this with me, because it's, it's very important here. Verse 17, it says, He came to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Was that repentance or want? It's very important we notice this. I'm thinking of everything my family has that should be mine. My father's, even his hired servants, not slaves, but his hired servants, they have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I have nothing. So I'm going to go back. What was the son's motive? Hunger. Okay. Didn't we sing a song about hunger this morning? Hungry, I come to you. Same motive. He was hungry. He thought what he deserved he wasn't getting. And so it wasn't repentance. It wasn't out of a heart for God. It was because his belly was empty that he made this move. Hired servants literally means craftsmen, which means they get paid for what they're doing. So you can see his wheels turning here. If I can go back and say, Daddy, I, I sinned, and I'm really not even worthy to be called your son, just give me a job, Dad, and I'll pay back everything I lost. He was conniving. Does it remind you of anybody else in the Bible? Maybe a man named Jacob who was trying to work his way and trying to make it all right by his conniving, wandering ways, his deceitful ways. And look at this. He says, I will arise and go. The word go does not mean return. The word go means I'm going to continue my journey. Does it? And that means I'm going to continue with my plan. I'm not going to give up and say, okay, God, I'll go back through the door I left and seek repentance. He's only saying, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. How many of you ever dealt with people like that? How many of you were people like that? Stubborn, hard-hearted, blind, and the list can go on and on. And so he tells himself, here's my plan. I'm going to give a false repentance. I'm going to sound spiritual that I'm not even worthy and I've sinned. But my real result is just to do that so I can go get a job, start making money and get back on my feet and get some food in this belly. We've all done it. It's easy to cast this guy, but we've all done that. There was a bit of a stubbornness in me that I really don't like telling people I'm sorry when I'm not sorry. One of the first issues in our marriage, and you can see my wife shaking her head going like this right now. 
was that it meant a lot for her to hear that words, babe, I'm sorry. But I hate saying it when I don't mean it. I'm sorry your feelings got hurt, but I'm not sorry I said it. <laughs> Y'all are laughing because you're just like me. I'm sorry it didn't work out the way I thought it should, but I'm not sorry I did it. Stubbornness, maybe a little bit of pride in there, maybe a little bit of rebellion. And she still puts up with me. She deserves to be sainted. What's that? Yeah. But I think I have the same heart this prodigal son has. I'm not really sorry I did what I did to you, Dad. I'm just hungry. And I want to come back and at least get this station in life where I can earn a little bit of money and get some food in my stomach. How many of you have ever had a family member give that false repentance and stick it to you again when it came out? We've all done it. Return and go are two different things. So I want you to follow with me here. So he comes up with his plan, verse 19. Father, I've sinned against heaven. How many of you ever had the God card pulled on you? It drives me crazy when people do that. Oh, the Lord told me to tell you this. No, it wasn't. It makes me want to take the back of the hand like the Father's supposed to. That spirit of slap, I think that's a spiritual gift. Oh, brother, I've just felt the Lord telling me you really don't need to say that. Shut That's not God. It's you. Y'all ever deal with people like that? Okay. Sometimes I say it too. That's when it hurts. So he comes up with this plan. I've sinned against heaven. And Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, there's a point here I want you to catch. He says, make me. Only the Father had the power in the eyes of the city to give that man his station again. He knew he had to go through the Father. He couldn't get it himself. He says, Lord, I don't want to be a son. I don't want to be at this level, but... Just make me enough where I can earn a little bit and maybe I can pay this thing back and, and earn all this stuff back. But only the Father could give it to him. And it's very important to catch that part of this verse. In Exodus 10, verse 16, Pharaoh does the same thing. After the ninth plague. Oh, Moses, I've sinned. Why don't you guys go out and worship? How many of you have seen false repentance and looked it in the eyes? It's actually come out of my mouth before. I'm really sorry, and then I turn around and do it again. We're all in this boat. We're all just like Pharaoh. So I want you to look at this picture. Tell me what you see in this picture. Because remember, some people remember things by sight. Some by sound, some by doing. What do you see in this picture? 
welcome, restoration. Forgiveness, love, knew that one was coming. Ooh, the father's out, not sitting there waiting for the son to come back. Wide open. What else? Pictures say a thousand words. Sir? Joy. Just like Jesus. I was hoping somebody would pick the perspective of the son. What do you think is going through the son's mind? Flashbacks of everything he did. Not worthy. Is he going to punish me? Is he going to hit me? Is he going to bring the servants out who are supposed to be attending him and forbid me to come any closer? Imagine all the uncertainty that went through this man's mind in a split second when he saw his father. I told you I didn't see my father for a, a period of about five years. And after he got out of jail, he started working in a, he was a mechanic type, very sharp mind mechanically. He started working at a rental center Fixing, you know, small engines and stuff. And I finally tracked down where he was. I, I went home to Montana to visit my brother and I found out where my dad was. And something was in my heart to go see him. I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to go. I wanted to keep punishing him for all the stupid things that he did to destroy our family. And I go up to the counter and I say, is, is Calvin here? And the guy just points at him. I didn't even recognize my dad. He had aged so much. He had a full beard. He had lost, I mean, he was just skin and bones. He had lost a lot. I didn't even recognize him. So I took a deep breath and I walked around the counter. And I just said, Dad. He literally turned around, ran to me, and jumped up in my arms like a little kid, like my girls do. And I stood there just like the sun, with my dad hanging on me. And I had this flood of emotion going through me. I wanted to be mad, and I wanted to punish him, but I wanted to hug him. And... And he looked at me and he had tears calling out. And I was right in front of everybody. The whole store was there watching this. He didn't care. And how was it he recognized that one word? Dad? And something leaped in him. And he ran to me. Lost all abandonment. Didn't care what anybody thought. They said, I just want my son. And I sat there mad and I didn't want to be accepted. Because he had already rejected me.
When I saw that picture, that's what flashed back to my life. I was that son standing there like this, ready to judge, ready to reject. But God, y'all say that with me, but God, who is rich in mercy, loved us when we're unlovable. So let's pick up here in this story. But he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You got to understand in culture, what is that father wearing? He's wearing a robe. Have any of y'all ever put on a choir robe and then tried to run in it? What's going to happen? The father broke a cultural rule once again by picking up his robe and uncovering himself so he could run to his son. That was the day God ran. And Jesus painted a beautiful picture of how depraved and how heinous that sin was that the son committed. But then he painted the most abandoned, incredible picture of the father's love. He didn't care what anybody thought. Just like when my dad jumped in my arms, he didn't care what anybody thought. The father saw him, which infers he'd been looking for him. How long had he been looking? It wasn't known how long the son had actually been gone. But remember what the city did. The city broke the jar. The, the city did the ceremony and said, you're cut off. If the father ever had hope of reconciling the son, he had to get there before the city did. Because the city had the right to kill him, but they would have stopped him at the city, basically the city limits, and would have said, you are not allowed in further. We reject you. But the father beat him to it. Do you remember the day the father beat the enemy to you? Do you remember that day that our eyes were open and we came to ourselves, and we had to receive the love of the Father. Do you remember the day that it beat all the judges and the ones who wanted to sentence us to death? And he beat us to it. This is what happened in this story. First of all, his hurt and his anger turn to grace. Isn't that what God did? When we sinned, we rejected Him, and Adam threw away 
the God-given glory. And he threw away the God-given authority and the life that God had intended for us in our inheritance of this earth. He threw it all away, just like the prodigal son. And it crushed God's heart. And then as sin continued to get worse and worse and worse and murders and all this stuff began to be the norm of our society, the father ran. He said, I'm going to beat them to it. 1 John says, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. How great that love that was once anger and hurt now flowed through grace. When Jesus was come to this earth in John chapter 1 verse 14, It says, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. That righteous indignation and judgment that God had to pour out on the world now came in the form of grace and truth. Hosea, I want you guys to turn with me to this. Hosea is right after um, Daniel, I believe, the first book of the uh, Minor Prophets. In chapter 11, he says this. You guys doing okay? We're going to land this plane. Look at verse 7. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none exalt him. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma and set you like Zeboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come with terror. Hosea prophesied God's anger was going to turn to grace. He wasn't going to come to us in terror. He wasn't going to come to us in judgment. He was going to come to us in the form of Christ. Who said out of his own mouth, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Well, isn't that what the Father did? Isn't that what the shepherd did to the lost sheep? Isn't that what the woman did to the lost coin? Seek and save it. So Jesus is given three stories here to tell of how great the Father's love is. That He's going to seek after us. He's going to look. He's going to watch. And He's going to run. Look at this. Sorry, tried to find a color that would work. He ran, he publicly humiliated himself. But then it says he kissed him repeatedly. When you go into a Middle Eastern culture and they welcome you into their home, they kiss you. In 2011, I went to Bethlehem and we were doing eye clinics and to Muslims and Palestinians and and to some Israelis and they all hated each other. 
And this one man just wouldn't leave us alone. He kept coming back every day. And, Bill, they have no personal space there, bro. Okay? So they get up on you and you must come to my house and just hugging you and loving you. And as Americans, we're going, stay away from me. You're, get, you're out of my bubble here. And then they want to kiss you. And so the man pulled us and kissed us on the cheek and kissed us on the other cheek. And I was like, Ugh! He was receiving me, a complete stranger. So he begged us, and after about three days, okay, we'll come to your house. So we went to his house, and what did he do? As soon as we got out of the car, he came and kissed us again. And his family kissed us and received us. And we sat on the porch and we ate more food than you should ever have to eat in a sitting. He had four tables, and we basically spent an hour at each table. And they were full of everything, and it was wonderful food. And his family came out, and they received us. And he looked at us, and he said, do you know why, through an interpreter, he said, do you know why I brought you here? We're like, no. And he said, because you came all the way to this country from America to do something that nobody could ever repay you for. And I want to thank you. And immediately I said through the interpreter, well, the, do you know the reason why we came? And he was like, no. And I said, because we have a God who did something for us we can never repay. And that's why we have to come. And I'd open the door to present the gospel to him. He didn't get saved. And I just heard about a year ago that he passed away. And I pray God did something in the midst of that. But when they kiss you, they receive you. So what was the father doing? He was receiving his son back. Do you remember the day God kissed you? And it changed your heart. It changed your life. The son said, remember what his plan was? Father, I've sinned. No longer worthy to be called your son. Give me a job, God. Or give me a job, Father. He only got two of them out. Father, I've sinned. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Why didn't he get the third one out? Because the son knew the cultural implications of his father running. And that he just disgraced himself to receive the son. And I believe this is the moment the son had the heart changed. And he couldn't just say, Daddy, make me a job. The plan went out, give me a job. The plan went out the window. And the, and the son was just like, I'm unworthy. Do you remember that day? When God met us and we came to that understanding of what he has done for us. He finally understood the costly love of his father. But then the son had to accept being found. And this is where a lot of us have a problem receiving God's love. 
well, God, I receive your salvation, but I don't think you can ever love me. God, I'll receive your salvation. I want to go to heaven, but I, I just can't believe that you would pay for my healing too, God. How many times do we put limits and restrictions and conditions on the acceptance of the Father? Ephesians says, He accepted us into the Beloved and gave us every spiritual gift in the heavenlies. Every gift. Healing, wisdom, power, everything. He didn't make conditions on it. And this father didn't make conditions on this one. Remember the two other parables. What happened when they were found? Great rejoicing. And it opened up everything to them. Jesus was revealing a countercultural picture of God's passion and love. Guys, what is the picture we paint to the world? Most of us say, hey, this Jesus will make your life better, and our plans are no better than what the son's plans were. I'm going to put a little bit of repentance on it, and Jesus will help me have a better life. No. The Father's love is much greater than that. How do we tell people how great this love is? Verse 22, the Father did three things. He gave him a new robe. He gave him a ring. And he gave him sandals. And it's important that we notice what these three things were. First of all, okay, make sure this thing's working here. The robe. The father says, quick. How many of you guys have the NIV here? Anybody got the NIV? ESV? Okay, Morris, you have the NIV? Read verse 22 for me. Okay, why did he start out with quick? Remember what the town was going to do. The father had to beat the town people who wanted to judge him. The father had to be quicker. So he told his servants who went out with him, who he uncovered himself in front of all those servants, quick! Get the robe. Now notice he doesn't just say get the robe. What's he say? Get the best robe. The Jews were commanded, all Jewish males were commanded three times to go to Jerusalem for the three major feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They brought their best robes during that time. Well, what was Passover symbolic of? Jesus was our what? He died for our sins. His blood was spilt. What was Pentecost about? That we could receive the Holy Spirit in all that God was. What was Tabernacles about? That God would come and dwell with us. The relationship was restored. It's the perfect picture of salvation. So the first thing the Father says is give Him redemption redeem him that he's his sins are wiped out 
Our spirits are connected. We're on the good heart again. But then he doesn't just leave it there. He says, I want to dwell with them. I want to bring him into my house. John 1, Jesus came and dwelt among us. This is what the Father did with the robe. Look at the ring. He didn't just leave it there and say, it's good enough for you to be in the house. He said, here, I'm going to give you our family crest on a ring. And anywhere you go, you now have the authority to conduct business in my name. Remember the son squandered everything. Who would trust him to do business in his name again? But the father says, your redemption includes the authority to do the work I need you to. So what did Jesus tell all of us in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me and I give it to, for what purpose? To go and make disciples. To conduct business in the Father's name. It's the same thing he told his son. The sandals, in that culture, slaves didn't wear shoes. So he gave his son sandals. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son. We're a co-heir with Christ. We're no longer relegated to leftovers. We get a seat at the table. A lot of us have an easy time accepting the robe but we can't quite get it past our mind to accept the ring or to accept the shoes because we're, Lord, I've, I've, I've done too bad. I've, I've sinned too much, God. I could never come eat at your table. Guys, he gave it to us all and he gave all of it to us. We don't get to pick the parts that we can accept. It's all one package. Lastly, all of this was done outside the village. Why? Because he had to beat the people. Now, tell me, where was Jesus crucified? In the city or out? Where was redemption purchased? Outside the city. Because he beat those in judgment to give us mercy. Lastly, the father says, let's kill the fatted calf and let's celebrate. The celebration was not that the son had repented and come home. I think the celebration was because the father knew he just brought his son from death to life. I believe it was celebrating the father's work. Because if you actually look at how he said, my son was dead and now alive, lost and now found, it's possessive. It's coming in the tense of the father speaking, I found him. I brought him back to life. Because I beat the townspeople out to do it. And it wasn't anything the son could have accomplished on his own. So when we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, 
Who's it celebrating? Us or the Father? It's celebrating the work God has done, not us. Because we were incapable of it. Now, I've thrown out a whole lot to you. And I pray that God has showed you a picture today of how great His love is. As I've prayed in this song that we sang, Hungry, it just kind of showed me, yes, Lord, this is exactly where you are. It says, Hungry, I come to you, for I know you satisfy. I am empty, but I know your love does not run dry. You think God might have been setting this whole thing up today? So I want to ask you, have you received the full restoration of the Father? The full restoration. Some of us have received the robe. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I got God. But some of us have never received the ring to conduct the Father's business. And some of us have a really hard time putting on the shoes that say I'm allowed in the Father's house and at the Father's table because I've just done too much. My, my sin's just too great. If you're like me and you come from a dysfunctional family, trusting love is very difficult. You tend to push people away. No, I'll accept this part, but I can't let you have what's really on the inside. I can't really trust to come to your table and be who I really am. I want to ask you, have you received the full measure of God's love? Or have you just said, Lord, I'll take the robe, but leave the rest? I want you all to stand and pray with me. Have you allowed the Father to receive you? I know it kind of comes across funny, but I had to allow those men to kiss me. But it was a bigger cultural slight if I wouldn't have allowed that. Have you allowed the Father to wrap His arms around you? Have you allowed Him to kiss you and bring you in to the Beloved? But have you just stopped there? Have you come into the house yet? Have you went out in the Father's name and conducted business? Or do we just want to stay in the house and not see anybody and keep it quiet? I don't know where you are, but I know God wants to give you the full measure today. Guys, this isn't an emotional plea. This is the Lord saying there's an opportunity right now for me to give you everything. I know most of you, I've seen you before, I know most of you are believers. But are you a son or a daughter? And if that's not what you have went to that level, I want you to come forward and let us pray over you. I want God to wrap his arms around you like that father did in that picture and give you everything and for you to know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
there's any question in you, guys, this isn't really about salvation of sin. This is about your being a child of God. Because I know most of you in here are saved. If that's you, I want to just pray for you. You guys can come forward or just raise your hand if you want people to gather around you. I just want to take a moment and pray. Because guys, the world needs us at the full measure of children of God. Because there's too much at stake. Is it anybody? Anybody need prayer to receive the whole thing, not just a portion of it? Anybody? All right, well. Amen. God wants to welcome you to his table. You have everything that's His. Can you trust it? Unworthiness is one of the greatest hindrances to receiving the life of God. Is that we think our unworthiness is greater than His love. Alright, y'all, let's do this. I'm going to ask you guys to come together and let's join hands. And I want you to pray over one another. Let's do this. Let's pray. Y'all, let's make room for everybody. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray a prayer over you. And if anybody else wants to pray, please just jump in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, that you saw them from a long way off. And Lord, you ran to them. And Lord, you wrapped your arms around them. And Lord, just as Lawrence prayed as he was transitioning to service, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Father, you saw us and you kissed us. And you brought us into your family. And you clothed us with yourself, God. You gave us your authority and power to conduct business. And you gave us a seat at your table, God. That we can eat and dwell and live with the Almighty God. And Lord, that there's nothing that can hold us back. Father, our physical families on earth have, have scarred some of the ways that we're supposed to process, God. I pray that you would free us from those hurts, Lord. That you would free us and just kiss us today, God. And let us know that we're accepted in the beloved. And that you've given us every heavenly gift, Father God. You've opened the kingdom to us. And we are co-heirs with Christ. And we rule with you, Lord. And we will reign with you, God. Lord, open our eyes to receive it. Lord, specifically for all the fathers in the house. Lord, that there might be someone who has hurt them, God. Someone who has rejected them and insulted them. A child, Lord. I pray right now that you would restore those relationships, God. That you would bring healing where there needs to bring healing. Lord, that you would put it on the heart of the father to go to their son and to kiss them, Lord, God, spiritually. Lord, and to open that door to come back in the house, God. Lord, division isn't hurting anybody but us, God. Oh, Jesus, mend relationships. Lord, between husbands and wives, Father God. Lord, restore those things. Lord, put it in the heart of the husbands 
to embarrass themselves out of passion for the wife, Lord. That he would restore that wife, Lord God, in that relationship, regardless of what anybody thinks. And that the wives would accept it and trust it, Father, just like the prodigal son had to. Lord, we need your healing. We need your grace, Lord. And we need your acceptance. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else feel led to pray? Just step out. Thank you, Father. Yes, God. Yes. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, to that table. He's bringing you. So yes. if you feel that in your knower, get some get some prayer for that. And yes, Lord. You're welcome to come. Yes, Lord. He brings us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bill, you're a father in this place. Would you pray a prayer? over this place. Father, I was just thinking about us being thankful. A truly thankful heart, Father, no longer resists. A truly thankful heart surrenders. Yes, Lord. A truly thankful heart, Father God, bows before you and say, Father, I thank you for all you've done. It's a surrendered heart. Father, we are thankful. This whole message was about the great love of the Father. Yes, Lord. You know, it's one thing to let somebody do something to me, but to allow my son to suffer. Yes, Lord. To show you how much I love you. That's what you did, sir. More than you suffering. You sacrificed your son for us, and that is far more than necessary. We receive it, sir. Yes, Lord. We receive your love with thankful hearts, a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, sir. And let us not forget the truth of this time that we set aside in this country and much of the world to recognize the gift of your son who redeemed us when we could do nothing. We could do nothing but your grace and your mercy. We love you, sir. Thank you, Father. And I declare everyone in this house blessed. Blessed.
blessed, blessed beyond their comprehension because your love is so deep and so great. Thank you, sir. Amen. 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 Hey, let's uh, pray for Sarah real quick. She was, uh, well, she had to go to the hospital. She had to go to the doctor, and then she was at the hospital overnight, and they were running some tests and saying that uh, her blood pressure, her veins, and all that's fine, but the left side of her heart, they're saying, is not working correctly. Did I get all that right? They're saying. I know what we say. So stretch your hands forth towards her. Uh, she said yesterday, she said yesterday that she and Morse both are not receiving what they said. But they are alarmed. They do know that there's things that need uh, uh, adjusting. There's things that need changing. And so they're believing that the manifestation of her healing, whatever is needed, will be done. And so, Father, we set ourselves in agreement with that. That you have already provided everything that we need. And so now we step together and agree together by faith and we go and get whatever it is that her heart needs in the name of Jesus to be back in working order to the perfection which you created it from day one, from the foundation of the earth. You created our bodies to function. And so now we agree, we agree and declare that it's done in the name of Jesus. We line ourselves up with the Word of God, not by sight. We don't walk by what we see, what we feel. We tell her body to line up right now in the name of Jesus. And we stand on that in Jesus' name. over Morris and over their work that you have for them to do, Lord. We thank you right now that that, that assignment is canceled in the name of Jesus. Uh, those of you who know my sister Ina, she also had a heart problem and she's wearing a vest which is actually a fibrillator. But Father, in the same prayer, we just send your word to her right now, and we declare total restoration. You know, the whole story of this, the prodigal son could not do anything about his circumstance. You did it all. And Father, we receive all that you have done, and we declare, Father, your word. You said your word never returns to you void, but it always accomplishes the thing you set it out to do. We receive it, sir. Now go and walk in the light and the revelation of that. You got something? Uh -huh. Amen.